Hunting is not easy. It never has been. It takes dedication, motivation, a lot of patience, and quality gear. If you manage a food plot, put up stands, or need just one more game camera, we can help at MidwayUSA.com. We opened our doors in 1977 and continue to put customers first by offering super fast, same day shipping. For just about everything for the outdoors, go to MidwayUSA.com. When it comes to hunting boots, how many pairs does one man need? Well, how many seasons are there? Turkey season? Deer season? Duck season? Dove season? Honey, how many pairs of boots does one man need? At least one more pair. For just about everything for hunting, go to MidwayUSA.com. I'm Larry Potterfield with Midway USA. Thanks for your business. Hey, I just got back from lunch. Did you finish that report yet? Uh, well, not exactly. I'm still working on it. I'm not finished just yet. Uh, I got a little sidetracked, but I will get them to you first thing this afternoon. <laughs> it is first thing this afternoon. Well, yeah, I, I understand that, but I mean, I, I am working on it. But what do you mean that the report isn't finished yet? I'm, I'm still in the process of working on it. I've just been a little distracted. T- distracted? Our meeting starts in an hour. You, no, no. What were you doing? Were you listening to another hunting podcast again? I swear, I give the staff in this office the freedom to do whatever they want to do as long as they meet a deadline. That is the first bullet underneath your job description. Pays attention to detail and deadline. And deadline. Are you even listening to me right now? Archery season has sadly come and gone, but your shooting does not have to stop there thanks to Williams Archery's indoor range. They offer hands-on shooting lessons and they run indoor shooting leagues throughout the off-season. Now is also a great time to go get the repairs done that you've been putting off all season. You can also check out their new bow lines of Hoyt, PSE, Elite, Bear, Parker, and more. The new bows are awesome. Tell them you heard about Williams Archery on the Whitetail Distraction Podcast when you give them a call at 724 727-9660. Welcome to episode 23 of the Whitetail Distraction Podcast. My name's Austin, and join me in my basement until it gets warm outside. Charles Hedlund, how you doing today, buddy? I don't think it's ever going to get warm outside. I'll be honest, we might be in here forever. (laughs) We might be in here forever at this point. It is very cold outside. Winter has come, winter is here, and winter doesn't look like it's going anywhere anytime soon. You know what, though? Get rid of some of the bugs. Please, yeah. kill off some of the ticks, get rid of the mosquitoes, get rid of some of the bees, Not, leave the honeybees, get rid of the wasps and hornets and stuff like that. Them things drive the useless, me crazy. The useless insects, they the can useless all go. Insects. Like mosquitoes, what, what's, what purpose does a mosquito serve? They can all be shunned from this earth and I'd be happy. I hate them. They just, they drive me bananas, but Ugh. you know what, I digress. Yes. Anyways, <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm doing good, man. I'm doing good. We, uh, I shot right out here after work, tax season's in full force. It's been great. I'm staying busy, but hunting's never leaving my mind. I mean, I really, really hope I'm off this Saturday and we can go down and give one more hoorah down in in 2B and and go chase some whitetails. That'd be exciting, man. You know, and one thing that's been kind of popping up in my mind because people have been asking questions on social media, shed season. Yeah. It's not here yet. Deer are starting to lose some antlers and stuff like that. I typically try and wait until the end of February, but 
you know what? I love going out shed hunting. We don't find a lot of sheds, but I love going out scouting. I'm ready for scouting yeah. season, man. I think we need to do a little bit more time in the vehicles, just kind of parking along some of the fields and stuff and, and glassing and seeing what bucks are out there, whether they have their antlers or don't, because everybody I'm hearing from is PA is one of those states where we had a really, really wet uh, summer, really wet fall. There's a lot of malnutrition deer. There's ehd that came through that that has been affecting deer and a lot of deer dropping early yep yeah i've heard that too we're in the discussion and the more i think about it you know yes but everybody everything in inside me says no don't go out yet so i think maybe if we can get some validation by going out and, and doing some scouting just from the vehicles and some glassing to see what we're getting into beforehand oh man i couldn't agree more and you know what we need to do some driving around, and we need to stop, and we need to knock on some doors. We yeah. need some more permission for next year. I mean, it's, it's never a bad thing, but this is the time of year to really go in, get permission for shed hunting, maybe yep. get permission for some small game or something like that, ease into some turkey season maybe, mm-hmm. and then throw it on. Hey, can I deer hunt your property? Yeah. You know, the, the most they can say is no. It's not really a big deal if they do say no, you know. Well, the other good thing is that we have snow on the ground. We have fresh snow on the ground. Uh, you know, it was almost 50 degrees the other day and raining, and then right back into probably an inch or two of snow and freezing cold and windy. But what that does is if you go on these properties, you get permission at, you know, to go out and scout or shed hunt, you see all the sign. Absolutely. You know what's there. It's the this best your... time to scout. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more, man. This is the time to really do your scouting, especially with a fresh snow find where those really heavily beaten trails are mm-hmm. find where the beds are i mean beds stick out like a sore thumb this time of year yeah and those could change come fall but absolutely it is definitely a starting point to let you know are there deer in this property is this a property that i want to focus on next year certainly certainly i you couldn't know. agree more so. well let's not keep blabbering on too much because i'm really excited about this episode i know you're excited about it. We have a great guest on. Yeah. The man, the myth, the legend, Gerald Cop from First Light Hunting Journal. He featured us in an article, and we really appreciate this guy. He's just a really good dude and really good conversation, I'm hoping. I'm excited to get him on and, and just kind of pick his mind at Whitetail Hunting and what First Light Journal's uh, Hunting Journal's all about. I think it's going to be an amazing episode, and I'm really looking forward to it. Me too, man. I can't wait. Let's get him on. All right, on the phone we have Mr. Gerald Cop of First Light Hunting Journal. How you doing today, Gerald? Doing good, guys. Glad to be here. Absolutely. We're excited for you to come on. I mean, we met on uh, Instagram probably a couple months ago. You approached me and uh, you wanted to write an article about podcasts, and I was really excited about that. Well, it was a it was something that I was really interested in, and you know, podcasts. I was kind of late to the game on that, but um, in the last year and a half or so i've really gotten into them with all the travel that i do and whitetail distraction was certainly um, one of a handful that i found myself enjoying so i appreciate you guys being receptive to me um kind of jumping in there and putting you out yeah well we appreciate you uh plugging us so that that's always a plus for us yeah that was really cool to see our our name related to someone so far away from us i mean you're coming right. all the way from texas it was kind of a, a shock to us to even think anybody right. else was listening so, but well, I, you know, it's, it's funny you say that. I mean, the, the, and you guys know this better than I do. Like I say, I'm pretty late to the game, but, but mm-hmm. the podcast, the podcast thing is, is a really good platform for that. I mean, we were talking earlier about, about that to some extent, which is the whole idea of, you know, deer hunting and whitetails and all that good stuff. How many commonalities we have across the country. I mean, we, 
we do a lot of the things the same way and we think the same way, but there are nuances and I'm, I'm just fascinated by, um, the way things are done in the Northeast versus the Southwest and in other places as well. So yeah, total opposite ends of the country. And I don't know. It's wild to me as well. Yeah. We can still find common ground. That's pretty incredible. We'd all, we'd all get, we'd all get along real well in a deer camp. I'm sure of that. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I bet we'd have a blast. (laughs) (laughs) No doubt. Hey, so I I mentioned a little bit uh, that you're from Texas, but you want to take it a little farther than that from as far as where you're from and, what you do for sure. a living? Sure. I, I've lived pretty much my whole life in Austin, Texas. Got a, I've got a wife and two adult daughters. So my wife and I are kind of empty nesters. I kind of, it's kind of a bizarre time in my life, I guess, but it's been a really good one. Let's see. I, I went to Texas A&M University. Um, I don't know how familiar you guys are with the state of Texas, but I know you have a lot of the same dynamics there. Mm-hmm. I live in Austin, which is right pretty much in the backyard of the University of Texas. We're pretty big rivals. Let's just say it's a character builder. It's always been interesting being an Aggie living in Austin. Yeah. But <laughs> anyway, I don't know I don't know what you guys what your equivalent is. I don't know if it's Pitt and Penn State. I don't you know yeah. I don't know. Everybody's got them. Oh yeah, Pitt and Penn State for us, so. Yeah. And so so and I've lived here my whole life. We like it here a lot. It's gotten a little big, but you know, as far as career, I worked for I had a 32-year career with the state of Texas. I worked in health and human services area in finance. And, and coincidentally, I, I actually retired about a year and a half ago. So oh, I've kind of found my mm-hmm. – yeah, it's been pretty awesome. You know, I, I do have to qualify that. I'm not, you know, the EF Hutton guy that's in a hammock. I, I've still got lots of money to make and things to pay for. and But I did retire – uh, from the state, going to an office every day, and it's been pretty nice so far. I, I still do consulting work in the healthcare industry, but the point is, I've got a lot of flexibility now. But also, it's given me time to kind of dive in a little bit more to my nonprofit and and actually spend the time that it needs. And then finally, it's allowed me to kind of start doing some writing, which is just something I like to do. That's kind of how First Light was born. That's just just kind of a I don't even know if it's so much of a skill, but it's just an interest that I've always had and marrying that with the outdoors has, has been a lot of fun for me so far. That's awesome, man. I mean, I don't want to say it was your dream to kind of do something like that, but it sounds like it was kind of your dream and you're really enjoying it. And I see you post quite a bit on social media and stuff, oh, different yeah. articles and everything. I mean, that's, that's really cool. Well, thank you. I, I, uh, likewise, I, I again, I'm, I'm pretty new to that. I, I'm, I'm kind of lucky. I've got my youngest daughter is like, you know, a marketing social media mm-hmm. type person for a, a marketing firm up in Arkansas. So she gives me good advice. You know, I, I, I'm new to that game as well. And I'm kind of learning as I go, especially from a, you know, a promotional standpoint. So yeah, there's um, nothing wrong with that. Man. We're kind of in the same boat with you on that. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, there's just a wide world of stuff out there that I can learn and it's not enough hours in the day, but yeah, that, that that's basically um, kind of where I sit right now, you know, from my day to day work. And of course, you know, it's given me a lot of time, a lot of needed time to, to give to EON and, and, you know, check a few more boxes and, and kind of run that thing a little bit more efficiently and that kind of thing. Honestly, it's been a real blessing. So still getting used to the time frame, the autonomy that I have. It gives me a lot more time to do those things. And it gives me, honestly, a lot more time to deer hunt. So <laughs> there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> uh, I think everybody kind of wishes they had a little bit more time to deer hunt. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 a lifelong problem for a lot of folks, and 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 again, I'm very lucky right now. So so I spend a lot of time on the road. If I'm not hunting myself, I'm hunting with with the nonprofit. 
and you know it's all full circle that's how by and large how i, how I got plugged into some podcasts including yeah. you guys and i don't know I think we took the same route there. I mean, I was out of the podcast game. Austin has always been in the podcast game from a, a while back now, and the two of us mm-hmm. have become more or less some really good hunting buddies. Uh, he's <laughs> yeah. He's been bothering me and bothering me about these hunting podcasts, and I, I didn't know what he was talking about. I had no clue that what was out there, and, <laughs> but I had a 50-minute commute to work every day and back, and then you know I have freedom at work to be able to listen to music or you know, podcasts. And when I got into them about the same time frame as you did, I jumped into them hardcore and man, I've been sure. binge listening and I've been through, I don't even know how many episodes, just one after another. And a lot of the same ones that you mentioned on your journal there, uh, yeah, are, yeah. are, are favorites. So oh, it was really, really well, cool. Yeah, it was really cool. It, it was kind of not only really cool, but kind of weird seeing our name next to some of the ones that gave us the inspiration to start our own podcast just in the form of wanting to talk about deer hunting. You know? Sure, and, sure. Well, I, I'll tell you, Charles, I, I um, you know, it wasn't a huge project, but I did put a, quite a bit of time into that, and I, I didn't throw darts. You know, yeah. I, I purposely, you know, listed a few podcasts that I really enjoyed, and I, and, and there's some, you know, some long timers out there that I obviously didn't mention, mm-hmm. and you know, you know, they're all good in their own right, but I. I, I purposely, um, you know, published kind of a healthy variety of ones that were a little bit more new, new to the hunting podcast game and, and otherwise. And I, I just think that they both have their place. And I've discovered 12 or 15 that I really, really like. But, gosh, that list is only going to keep growing. Oh, man, oh, yeah. I can only imagine. There's new ones popping up every day. And there's ones that have been going on for a while and haven't really reached notoriety or anything yet. But... Uh-huh. There's, I mean, I'll even give you a list after this. I'll send you an email of some of the ones that I listen to. And, I would love to see that. Oh man, there's that. so many good ones out there. Yeah, I'm still not yeah. catching up with all the ones he gave me on his list. I still, I can't. Yeah. Ca- there's no way to catch up. I mean, you, you can listen all day, every day, and I try going back from the beginning of each podcast, and I think that really helped with the creating our podcast is trying to see where other people began, um, what sure. they talked about, how they set things up, and. You know, we're trying to yeah. do something different, of course, but at the same time, you can't forget about all the other podcasts that you listen to that are going to have some impact on what you're doing. Sure, sure. Well, I'll, I'll tell you, um, just from my, from where I sit, my observation is, you know, I there's quite a few established podcasts out there that are outstanding, and, uh, you know, it's opinion like anything else. There, there's a handful of them that have been around forever and have big names that, that honestly just don't do it for me personally. Again... It's nothing against, it's nothing against what they do. They do a good job of what they do, but you know, I, I, I kind of feel like podcasting is just like anything else. You know, you're talking about a genre like that. You know, you're, you're going to, you're going to find people kind of flock into what works for them. And, yeah. um, I think, I think you guys do a really good job. Like, like some other ones I like. I don't know how purposeful it is or not, but you paint a real vivid picture of what hunting in your part of the country is like. That's what we try what, and do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what kind of what well, you know the struggles you have, the um, types of animals that that you expect to see or hope to see or realistically get to see, and you seem to have a real appreciation for for the animals you you do get to harvest, and it's kind of like you know what you have there, you know what the potential is, but you appreciate what what you're able to harvest, and I just think it's really cool, and I just that's yet another thing that's so different. 
across different areas. Yeah, yeah. no, absolutely. I mean, I think regional. In, yeah, I think in the end, though, podcasts really relate back to our core and to our heritage yeah. and all the way back. So based on that, and maybe let's transition into how you got started hunting and where your core sure. started and, and go from there. Sure, sure. Well, I, you know, I... I had I had an uh, upbringing, I guess, a lot a lot like a lot of folks. I think I was kind of probably one of the lucky ones. I, mm-hmm. I I grew I grew up like any other guy. I played a lot of sports, did all that good stuff. But um, I was really blessed with the father a gra- and two grandfathers actually that that were big outdoorsmen, and I and I got to go a lot from the get go. And you know, I was introduced at an extremely young age. I probably started hunting deer around age eight. I mean, nice. maybe earlier, not, not like by myself, but being, being exposed to it and being in hunting camps and, you know, it might just be on the family farm watching a deer being, you know, skinned. I mean, so I, I kind of, I kind of came by it almost out of the womb. <laughs> and mm-hmm. again, I think I'm one of the lucky ones. I mean, I'd agree but, with you. Know, Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and for me, with that came came a huge appreciation because you know that first of all we're extremely lucky to have family property. If you'd like, we can talk about hunting properties later and that kind of thing. But you know, it's a hot commodity just like anywhere else, and very lucky to have family property that we're able to keep in our property. And here in Texas, hunting leases are very expensive. And point is, back when I started hunting, when I was a youngster, there weren't just a whole lot of deer in that area, and it was a really big deal to see deer. And that area has since exploded, and its deer hunting quality is much better. But, you know, I cut my teeth on, on on a situation where it was really rare to see deer. And when you did, it was a big deal. And I mean does. It was a big yeah. deal. Yeah, I've heard that from a couple of different regions around the country. Like, when you saw a deer, you told everybody. Like, I saw a deer track even, you know. That yeah, was just, yeah. it was a different time. There weren't, a, the deer density wasn't as high as it is now. And, you know, I've heard from a couple of different podcasts, and, They've said it a lot better than I have, but we're living in like the glory days of deer hunting. Yeah, isn't that the truth? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think on my yeah, dad's and- episode even, my mm-hmm. father's episode, he mentioned about this area where we live now. Like when he was a kid, he had woods all around his house, and if they even saw a deer track, they you know, yeah. they jumped in joy about it. And he went ran home and told everybody he knew, but then you drive an hour up to where our camp is, up towards the mountains, and I mean, yeah. you'd see a hundred deer. They were all dead. Yeah, that's So right. it was just that's crazy. Right. Yeah, and and I mean, I think you guys would probably agree, um, especially if you kind of grew up on something like that. Is at least I do. I, th- I think it's done wonders for my, I guess my outdoor, my hunting mentality. Because you know, wherever I get to hunt, and I and I, I'm very lucky. I get all you know, pretty good alternatives to hunt different places, and that makes hunting back on our family farm. It, the the excitement. And anticipation over that has never dwindled any. It's mm-hmm. just kind of a very, um, it remains to be a very nostalgic kind of deal. And I don't know. I feel like I came out a lot better that way than as if I came right out of the shoot shooting trophy deer all the time. Yeah, you know? no, absolutely. Now, when you say shooting trophy deer, what what is like a good deer in your area? Okay, so, you know, w- when you talk about Texas, that's a real can of worms. In our fam, in North Central Texas, where our family property is, over the last 15, 20 years, um, we can get into it later if you'd like, but, you know, deer hunting, not, not just deer numbers, but deer quality has increased. Our parks and wildlife has actually done some things that have been pretty good. And we've got state sanctioned management programs that 
whereby, you know, lands can get, you know, different properties can gather together and kind of form a co-op of sorts. And Like QDMA? And, uh, well, it's a QDMA, it's a QDMA line of thinking for sure. Okay. But it's not, it's not QDMA itself. It's, it's state sanctioned and it, it's the kind of deal where different areas get assigned a biologist and you come up with a set of rules and all that to say, you know, that's, that's really had a pretty positive effect on our herds. And to answer your question in that area on free range property, in my experience, you're going to shoot consistent 120 inch deer. You know, all the way up to in the 150s, with it being a lot heavier on the 120 and 130 side. That's about like where we are around here. I mean, yeah. typically people are shooting, if they shoot a good buck, it, it's 120 inch, 130 class buck. Right, you know. right. What about the age class? What would you say the age class relates to that? Are those two well, year olds? Well, um, if we're talking about the, if we're talking about our family property area, yeah, we, we, we certainly aim to shoot deer when they're four and a half or better. It's still an area where that can be extremely difficult with hunting mm-hmm. pressure that we mm-hmm. have. It's not, at least, at least where our property sits and the neighbors that we have, it's been a little bit of struggle to do much better than that. Mm-hmm. We, we still in our area have quite a few hunters that are taking three year old deer and, you know, I'm not here to, to, to badmouth either side of the fence, but but I, I would say I would say realistically the age class that we're through our management program that we are aiming for and, and we pretty much abide by that deer is going to be at a minimum four years old and that that means we may do without sometimes. Mm-hmm. So now our deer body sizes I would say are probably fairly larger than your deer body sizes down there just because it's the warmer environment they adapt to survive. So what do you Absolutely. do, uh, how much does that make it as far as more difficult to age a deer going off of smaller body size? You know, in my experience, and you're quite correct, you know, the deer in, in, in your region have a lot bigger body sizes. Te- te- Texas is a unique state because it's so big. And, I, you know, we've got, we've got actually different regions of the state where the deer are, are much larger animals, namely mm-hmm. South Texas. I, and to answer your question, I haven't found it to be much more difficult. I mean, it's all a matter of, of checking for the same characteristics, you know, the belly okay. sag, the sway in the back. And you, you guys are very familiar with what, what a, what a puffed up buck looks like during the rut. I mean, oh, yeah. if you're talking about an animal that's 30 or 40 pounds lighter than what you guys see, it still, you know, pretty well stands out in a, cr- mm-hmm. a crowd during the primary rut. So, so yeah. it's all relative, basically, um, then. It really is. Yeah. We shot a buck. Actually, um, one of the boys that we took hunting two weeks ago in South Texas shot a buck that, that was almost 200 pounds. Oh, man. Um, wow. Field-dressed in South Texas, which is almost unheard of, but in South Texas, it's a little bit more prevalent. In Central Texas and other parts, you know, people are going to tell you different things, but a good, mature buck, a lot of this is going to depend on if it's been run down by the rut or, or mm-hmm. whatever stage it's in. But 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 a good field dress buck in, in a lot of parts of Texas is going to be somewhere between 120 and 150 pounds. Yeah. And, uh-huh. I, and, I, and I believe you guys are probably looking at 30 to 40 pounds heavier than that. Am I correct? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we're probably just that range just above you, mm-hmm. I would say. Especially right, for right. mature deer. Now, that's the problem in our area. We usually don't see many four-and-a-half, five-and-a-half-year-old deer. But when you do, right. I mean, they can be upwards of 180 to 200. Mm-hmm. Yeah, big time. Sure. You know, and that's sure. that's the high end. That that's rare. You don't see that too too often, but yeah. you do see our it. Our hunting right. pressure is just absolutely astronomical. I mean, during 
our rifle season. That's when a lot of the smaller, younger bucks get killed mm-hmm. off. So that's where our age class goes. But every once in a while, you do end up finding a five or six year old buck and he is just, he's a monster. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that we all struggle with that to some degree. I mean, I'm not an expert on all the states or anything like that, but. You know, Pennsylvania is certainly one of the states that, I, that I've heard a lot of information about and I've read mm-hmm. about. You know, y'all struggle with a lot of the same things we do, All, although I, you guys tell me, I mean, I, I hear the hunting pressure there is off the charts, and I don't really know what that looks like. I don't know, because, you know, different parts of Texas, it's pretty bad as well. Right. That looks like you're sitting in the stand, <laughs> and any time a deer comes in, they're looking up in the trees for you. It's uh, it's uh, interesting. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, to go even farther yeah. than that, and I would say our archery pressure has gone up over the years, no doubt, and it's affected right. the deer and the way they behave. But, I mean, to paint you a picture, and I can understand how people from out of state don't really get a good picture of this, but imagine, and we're required to wear our orange on our chests and our heads and our backs, uh-huh. okay, for rifle season. So rifle season, I can remember... So many times on public land, you'd walk in and every 80 yards, there's orange and another yeah. 80 yards, there's orange. And that goes on yeah. for a mile. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it, it can be that bad. Um, it used yeah. to be a lot worse in rifle season. I will say, I know my dad has t- told me stories from whenever he was younger that they would go out and there would be 30 to 40 trucks on every single road anywhere yeah, you went. I'd- and and you for you guys in your part of the country they call it the Orange Army out here. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> when it's the rifles accurate. come out. Yep, that's right. You got it. Well, I, I I what little what little exposure I've had to that I can only imagine if if it's that there in spades. I mean I I mean I've seen hunts where you you know you you know you pick a tree or a setup and you know ten minutes into your hunt some guy just comes walking right by you and you say hello to him and mm-hmm. you know. It's the whole thing's really beyond me because I, I just I just haven't had to deal with it much, but I can just only imagine, and I I find it really intriguing. I think it's really cool the extra hoops that a lot of you guys have to jump through to do this thing that we love. I think it would probably be taken for granted by a lot of people. No, I yeah. can agree with that absolutely. I mean, it has its pros and cons. And in rifle season, I like the pressure. The more people in the woods, yeah. the more they're going to move deer around. You know, sure. um, in archery season, I'm the opposite. I don't really want to see people, but unfortunately, you you do have to almost plan your strategy around where other people are or where other people have been. And when you're on public uh-huh. land, sometimes, especially like up my camp, we might go up there once every week, once every two weekends. It's hard to tell where other people have been. So you're not only scouting deer, you're scouting human pressure as well. So it's I an added see. element, but it, it kind of goes into more appreciation when you do have the chance to harvest a buck on or any day yeah. on public land. And and that's the that's the part that I get. I really do mm-hmm. even though I don't have any working knowledge or experience at it. I get that. I mean, I can see how there would be just that much more gratification because there're just more variables to deal with and I don't know, it's 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 fascinating. We're we're I'll, I'll tell you this, we're not everybody, but we're pretty spoiled here in Texas and I know that there's a lot of issues and contention sometimes around the way people hunt in Texas and and all that kind of good stuff. But Texas is, is a state that just has so many deer. I mean, there's areas that don't, but, but most of them do. And there's just a lot of animals to go around. And yeah. again, I, I, it makes me just that much more fascinated by, you know, what you guys are faced with every season. Yeah. No, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, we do hunt some private ground too, but the difference I would right. say mostly is private ground in, in PA is 
basically public ground. And even if you do have posted signs, you still yeah. have to deal with a lot of trespassers. Um, sure. Sure. You know, so the the struggle was still there. A lot of the pieces we hunt that are private are very small. We're talking under 40 acres. Um, most right, of right. them even under 20 acres. So, right. and I'm not saying it's any harder at all because sometimes it's easier to go up my camp when you have the Allegheny National Forest is 80,000 acres. You can get away from people in archery season with 80,000 acres to work with. Sure, you know? sure. But around yeah. here, some of our private pieces, you can't. You can't get away from people. You just have to kind of... And the deer get used to it, so you know it yeah. is what it is. Sure, sure. And I, I'm also I'm also fascinated by the small parcel hunting, you know. And I, I do a little bit of that myself once I got into bow hunting, in particularly. And um, I, I think that that presents a, a very, you know, a very um, I, I think fun challenge. Mm-hmm. It, that whole never know what you're going to see kind of deal. And I've seen many times where where very small properties hold a really nice buck or two. Sometimes oh, yeah. I think oh, that's yeah. awesome. Just a lot of fun. Yeah, no, I agree. Now, you mentioned that you got into bow hunting. What Are you more of a bow hunter now, or are you still a gun hunter, or what kind of style of hunting do you really uh, focus on? Yeah, that's funny. You ask. I, I, I'm I'm a bow hunter. I, in fact, I just put out a short article this week titled, Are You a Bow Snob? <laughs> and, you know, I I hunted, um, I, to answer your question, I'm, I'm a very hardcore bow hunter, and it's by far my favorite uh, of the two. I think probably like most people that get into archery, you know, once, once you're bitten by the bug, I mean, it's over. Yeah. Yeah. Your bank and account that, hangs you after that. <laughs> yeah. Is, well, that, isn't that the truth? <laughs> and, and that happened as well. But by far prefer bow hunting. I do it, I'd say, 90% of the time now. I, I've got to say, though, that, you know, I did hit a point after a while where I had, you know, I had a rebirth with the rifle. It's kind of a deal where when you've got to manage property and you've got to shoot a certain amount of deer or at least try, you're not going to get very far with deer quotas with bow tackle. Yeah. At least not with somebody with my mediocre ability. It's a pretty tough feat. Yeah. So I still have an appreciation of the rifle and I've, I've, you know, I'm kind of an enigma. I love to hunt. I love harvesting animals, but as corny as it sounds, I like to hunt as much as the harvest. I like sunrises. I like sunsets. I'm right there with you, man. Honestly, I just love being out in the woods. Yeah, so I guess long-winded answer to your question, I, I, I by far prefer the bow, but, you know, I've kind of come back just a little bit to the rifle for practical reasons. And, you know, sometimes it's kind of good to step back in a box blind and, and be able to see a long way. And the ironic thing is, I think, is that a lot of times when you rifle hunt a property, if you're doing it right, it gives you the opportunity to scout for your bow hunting. So, Oh, yeah. No, I could agree with that 100%. I mean, even during our rifle season when deer are getting pressured and they're going in different yeah. areas and they're getting pushed all over the place, that's really a great time to scout, honestly. Right, right. But, again, I, I, I was bitten once it happened. Once I stuck my toe in the water and got started with it, it, it was all over. I mean, I'm just eating up with bow hunting. So. That's awesome, man. That, that's how we are, too. Now, one thing I was really curious about, you brought it up there, what, you said that you had kind of like a quota and you got to kind of break out the rifle to kind of do some of your management. Yes. What, uh, what are the rules and regulations around that? Like, what kind of tag system do you have? Is it a certain amount per day that you're allowed to take or is it a single buck state or two buck state or landowner state? What, what that kind of revolve around? Okay. So, so what happens without going into all the details, the way Texas works, you know, if you're not in a if you're not in a management program like that, your your deer and buck allotment is by county. 
okay. you know, parts of wildlife. And that may be similar in Pennsylvania. I don't know, but you know, there's one buck counties out there and, um, there's three buck counties out there based on the numbers. If you're not on a management program like that, the state now in most counties has instituted a 13 inch rule, which I hear has done quite well. Is that inside spread? Inside spread. Okay. And what's, what's strange about that is there's some regions of Texas, like East Texas, where for whatever reason, a lot of their genetics are very narrow and tall and you got seven year old bucks that they can't shoot. So, but all that to say, if you're on a program like we are, it's called managed land permit, I believe, managed land program. I can never remember what the acronym is, but if you're on it, it trumps all of those other basic state rules. Okay. Um, including, including the 13 inch rule. And what, what happens is they give you, you get assigned a biologist. You do your, it requires a little work on your part. You've got to do sentences and you've got to fill out paperwork when you shoot deer. Small price to pay, in my opinion. And, in doing that, you fill out that paperwork, and they will give you X number of doe tags and buck tags. That's I say quota. I use that loosely, but it, it's it's numbers they deem that you want to try to hit. Okay. And so that's what we have. We very seldom use up all the tags they give us. We kind of use our own discretion on what we think we have on our property. That makes you total know. sense, honestly. You you're going to know your property the best. I mean, a biologist can come out and do deer surveys sure. and things like that but realistically you're the one who knows that's right and 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 i guess one of the other benefits for sure with the mld program here in texas is it gives you the opportunity to rifle hunt early which for me doesn't mean anything i'd rather be bow hunting during bow season anyway right. but it allows you to rifle hunt in october and you can keep hunting well into february and in part the theory there is if you're rifle hunting in October, you're you're taking out some of those management bucks before they breed. And, mm-hmm. You know, the rut here in Texas, with with a couple of exceptions, the rut is in you know early to mid November, and um, I think I think that that's kind of what they have in mind. Yeah, is to uh, get in get in there and take care of some of those animals early. No, that makes total sense, honestly. Yeah, from what I'm familiar, then they they do like a census of your deer density, and that's where they base their numbers of what you can harvest off of. But also you are able to take what they call uh, a trophy buck and a management buck, correct? There's like a difference there. Yeah, and here's the thing. It's, it's, a, little, it's a little nebulous because different areas, co-ops, ranches, whatnot, they have different, you know, there, there's different parks and wildlife biologists that are assigned to them. Okay. And when that happens, I mean, those groups are going to have their own set of rules. Right. Um, right. Their own set of parameters, you know. We've got a, where we have a co-op, ours are kind of strange, actually. I, I think they really have made a strong effort to kind of dumb it down to make it easy to follow. But basically, our, our policy on bucks is that it has to be less than six points and or four years old, if that makes sense to you. That does make sense to us. I mean, I've so, seen a so giant six point that was like four years old, four or five years old, just a super mature deer, and we can't harvest it because we have a basically four point restriction right and you know you know that that deer probably needs to go Mm -hmm. right Uh, and then it would be a righteous kill and it would be probably depending on what the deer looks like it might even be a cool looking deer oh absolutely Uh, so so i mean that that's the parameters we have to operate under it's not perfect but trumps that 13 inch rule it's just playing the percentages i mean a deer that's under six points may very well be a deer that doesn't really need to be shot but i think Again, I think they've kind of dumbed it down to make the rules easy to follow. 
Yeah, that so, makes total sense, honestly. Other biologists in other areas, you know, they're going to have different parameters than we have, I'm sure. No, that makes total sense. That what um what kind of terrain are you really focusing on? Like you're you said that you have family property and stuff like that. What does that entail? Is it kind of like a lowlands area? Is it kind of like um like a brush country sort of feel, or what? What no, are we looking at here? North Central Texas. First of all, in Texas, Central Texas is typically referred to as the hill country and you know, there's a lot of people around the country that look at the hills that we're talking about and chuckle, you know. <laughs> but but it's a it's a very rocky yet very brushy terrain with lots of live oak and cedar and, and some other native brush. We're our family place is on the northern edge of that Texas Hill Country, so it's a kind of a combination of that with, with a little bit more agriculture. Okay, that sounds um, pretty nice down. actually. Yeah, and and the deer are a little bit bigger body wise, by and large. So I mean that terrain there is got that's the best way I could describe it. It's it's got it's got a lot of hills, it's got a lot of rock, but yet it's pretty lush. And of course the agriculture and it's it's really kind of a nice compromise in my mind. I've hunted a lot of different terrains and it it, it seems to have a lot of positive attributes. And you get into the main Texas hill country, it's gonna be very thick brush, a lot of hills. Again, your world you know, the hills may not may not look like much, but I guess the bottom line is all of the hill country stretching out to where we hunt in the northern hill country is, you know, with the hills and the, the terrain and the vegetation that we have, uh, it lends itself to a lot of really good natural draws and pinch points and things like that. It's very easy to walk around, do some scouting, and, and figure out some pretty good stand placement, you know. And that, you can't say that for every terrain. No, absolutely. Know? Yeah, I think having um, that uh, change in terrain and different pieces of your property in which you can hunt differently, uh, probably at different parts of the year, I would even say, uh, that absolutely. definitely benefits more than the same thing throughout the entire property. You know, that terrain right. change, that part where a bunch of different features are coming together in one spot, it, it definitely right. makes for better hunting and probably better scouting. Right, right. You're, you're exactly right, and that's certainly true here. Uh, you know, again, Texas is kind of an enigma, though, because it's got like five different states in one. I mean, you've got in East Texas, you've got the Piney Woods, mm -hmm. which are going to probably look, well, slightly more similar to what you guys have without the hills, but it's really going to look more like, like um, Georgia or the Ozarks or something like that with a lot of pine trees. In South Texas, you've got the very, it's called the brush country. I don't know if y'all seen any hunting shows from oh, South yeah. Texas or anything like that. It's, it's low lying, thick, thorny brush and, um, all the vegetation there, virtually all the vegetation there is extremely high in protein. And that's where South Texas gets its reputation and big antler growth. And then you got the hill country, like we've been discussing, which is somewhere in between and the deer numbers are by and large just off the charts. There's just lots of deer. That's crazy, isn't it? Uh, that low-lying yeah. country that you were talking about, that is kind of like what I have in my mind is what Texas hunting is, like the, the low, really thick brush and the high protein right. and things like that. That's kind of what yeah. I picture when I think of Texas hunting. Yeah, people hunting like a clear cut through the middle of it, mm -hmm. and the deer walks exactly. out and they shoot it. It might yeah. be a pipeline. It might yeah. be, yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's it. Now, um, with that said, how was your how was your season this year? Was it good, bad? Um. You know, they're never bad. I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say it was good in terms of, um, any kind of a, you know, great success. Um, I, like I said, I got to hunt a lot more this year, but on the other hand, I was on the road with EON hunts a lot too. As far as, as far as my actual hunts, my bow hunting and my rifle hunting, 
that, for that matter, the management program we're on. You know, I, I didn't take anything that was fantastic. I did take a, a very large five-and-a-half-year-old eight-point. It was just an old, heavy-horned buck that needed to go. Yeah. And like I say, in the area where I hunt, five-and-a-half years is, is not – it's it's a little bit rare. So I really enjoyed that hunt for that reason. I, you know, I, I took a, a couple of other smaller bucks that just this just needed to be just needed under the program to go. And you know, in doing all that, what it means for us on this property is seeing a lot of really really nice deer that just aren't old enough, and they're they're some of them are right on the brink. And as you guys know, um, that doesn't suck. That's kind of fun during bow season. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, just encounters and opportunities can make a bow season great, you know. Absolutely. And, you know, so I had the opportunity to see a lot of really, really nice three-and-a-half-year-old deer within bow range. And, you know, that's another thing for me is I I, I really enjoy watching deer behavior. I like the whole deal. And as you all know, bow hunting certainly lends itself to that. So my season was good. I mean, you know, I've got venison in the freezer. I didn't shoot a, quote, trophy, but shot a mature deer. And, and for that matter, we're not done yet. Um, our management yeah. program goes well into February. If I'm able to carve out some more time, we'll probably maybe try to shoot some coal bucks and maybe a, a few more does. We'll just have to see. Oh, man, I'm not going to lie. I'm pretty jealous. Um, <laughs> this weekend's yeah, our, our last weekend in Pennsylvania, and then we got one weekend after that to try and fill one of our tags in uh, Ohio as well. So we're coming down to the wire here. Yeah. So you're not put you're not putting the stick and string away yet. Not yet. Oh no. Almost. We're not done yet. It's well, cold good. though. It's it's hard when we've, <laughs> we've been having some yeah. bad storms up this way. It's hard to find yeah. the motivation. I'll tell you that much. Well, and that's another thing you guys have. That we d- we just don't have certainly not consistency. Is the you know the true harsh winter weather and mm-hmm. um, I mean we we get cold snaps and all that good stuff, but I'm sure that I'm sure that's not easy to contend with. Yeah, it's really nice. Really, like he was saying before, Charles, it's kind of a motivation factor at this point in the season. Like, yeah. you might get six or seven inches of snow overnight, and it's zero degrees outside. You don't really want to get out of bed in the morning. <laughs> Makes yeah. it tough, that's for sure. Yeah. But, well, I'm glad that you had a really good season. You get some meat in the freezer. And and you're not done yet, And so you're not good done luck. yet. So that, that, that's pretty awesome. I'm a little bit jealous that you're going to get to hunt well through uh, February, but... Why don't we you know, get into uh, First Light Hunting Journal a little bit? Why don't you get down to the nitty-gritty in that? That's how we met. Sure, sure. So, First Light, um, when I retired, it, and actually slightly before I retired, I knew I liked to write. This isn't to say that I'm a professional at it or anything like that, but I, I enjoy it. Um, I took a little time to do it, and I find it to be kind of therapeutic. Of course, I'm writing about the thing that I love to do. You know, a year or so ago, I started doing it. Kind of blindly did it. Uh, you know, I've ran websites before for other hunting things I've done in the past, but I'd never really done a blog. I've, over the years, I've done some writing for other people. I've done a little writing for Buckmasters and, you know, just, just some little pieces here and there. But I, I just wanted to give it a try, and then First Light was born, and, you know, I just kind of hit the ground running. Like I was saying earlier, I've, I'm really learning as I go. You know, putting out content isn't the hardest part I've found so far. It, it's more the getting a little more skilled in social media and, and, you know, the promotional end of it. Yeah. But it's a lot of fun. First light is, I, I don't know, I don't know how entertaining the format that we have is to a lot of people. We, the, the whole theory on the, on this particular blog and, and all of our content is, is really a healthy mixture of hunting tactics, 
pretty heavy on the hunting lifestyle, which can mean anything from, you know, deer camp follies. It can, you name it. We do a lot of pieces. I think a lot like the one that you guys were included in. We have a little piece we do called the Slick Six, and that's usually six somethings. Yep. Six, you know, six hunting blogs. You know, you get the idea, and we have the straight eight, and we, we do all that kind of fun stuff. But, but by and large, it's, it's about tactics, you know, as we see them. They're not the law. We're not professional hunters, but they're tactics and things like that. Again, heavy on the lifestyle. And, of course, a lot of our stuff, or at least some of our stuff, is going to have a, uh, a Christian slant to it or a, kind of a faith, faith-based organization. And we've done a lot of work with some other outdoor companies that do the same. I guess at the end of the day, we're just, you know, like a lot of folks, like you guys, we're just kind of hardcore deer hunters and, and studiers of whitetails and I haven't run out of material yet. Yeah. 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 No, I know. I, I notice all the time you're posting articles and things like that. And I've been on your website several times and read quite a few of the articles and I really enjoy them. And well, I appreciate it. it. It really does seem like you have an endless supply of topics to cover. And I hope they just keep on going and keep skyrocketing. I mean, it's really enjoyable for me to read your articles. I, that's kind of what I like to do before I found podcasts and. Yeah. You know, it's right. something we can relate to. Really? Also. Yeah. You know, a lot of stuff you're putting out there is stuff that we can relate to. Yeah. Well, I, I think, I appreciate that. I, I, I think one of the beautiful things about it, if people are right sized and, you know, you know, if they can set their egos aside a little bit, reading articles about deer hunting, any hunting for that matter, you know, strategies, whatnot, it can really be interesting. And the, and the thing is, you don't have to read it and agree with everything the guy says mm-hmm. in his article. I read articles all the time, and I'm thinking, well, that's not my experience. But I think it's interesting to hear other perspectives. And, and again, I, I know I'm kind of a one-trick pony, but, but I'm really interested in how you know all these nuances stack up for hunters across the country. There's so many similarities, but you know there's some differences too. And I would like to get a little bit more educated on that and include include that as part of our content as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I think that's a really good idea. I really like that you're interested in really learning even yet. I mean, you've been hunting since you were, like you said, eight years old. And I know I'm learning every day when I read articles and listen to podcasts and things like that. And I enjoy listening to different um, regions, like you said, like you're in Texas. It's a totally different culture down there than it is up here. And I really enjoy. It's something that interests us as well. Yeah. It's something different. It's new challenges. It's it's new experiences. But at the same time, I think you, you said it best and. You can never get enough knowledge in the whitetail world. And when you, you read a bunch or you listen to a bunch of podcasts, you can't just take everybody's word for word. I mean, like you said, take what you use for yourself and that relates to you. And you can throw the rest out without getting upset or arguing over right. a, an opinion. Right. It's an opinion. You know, it's what worked for somebody else. It doesn't mean it's going to work for you exactly the same way. But you can gain exactly, from it, right. you know, yep. and, so I think you said it best there whenever you were you were mentioning that. Well, yeah, and I, I think along those lines, I mean, honestly, I, I've, I've read content from, you know, whitetail experts that are, you know, way, way, way out of my league, and I'm still going to find a couple of things. Well, really, that's not the way it works where I hunt. But it's like you said, it's all good. And I just, I don't know, I'm kind of a renaissance man when it comes to all this stuff because, you know, I find it interesting and, you know, you can almost, I can almost romanticize about other parts in the country and, and what their hunting's like and the hoops they have to jump through to do it. And I don't know. It's just so interesting. I mean, 
um, trees alone, you know, you guys, I understand, hunt out a lot out of trees. And mm-hmm. um, unless, in Texas, unless you're in East Texas, there's not a whole lot of trees, trees that go straight up and down. So for us, you know, if you're going to hunt elevated, you're probably going to be tucked away in an oak mod or something in a tripod. Or if you're yeah. lucky enough to find a tree straight enough, you might have a ladder stand. You know, climbers are just not practical in a lot of areas. But Yeah. Yeah, I couldn't see I like, that I like hearing about the people that do it. Mm-hmm. Now, I can tell in your writing that hunting is definitely your passion. To play on words here, how did you take the leap of faith to really start this journal and get into it running 100 miles per hour at it? Well, I tell you, I, I would say probably the two biggest thing. One would be the interest that I had in doing it, and I didn't really have anything to lose. I had retired. Again, I've, mm-hmm. I've explained probably two or three times this isn't real retire, retire, but I didn't have a whole lot to lose. And secondly, you know, being in the position I am at this stage of my life with retirement where I'm doing some consulting work and bringing in some income doing that, you know, at best, this can be something where, you know, if I can somewhat succeed at it, you know, I can do what I love and add to my income while I do it. So, again, turn that all the way back around to the first. I mean, at worst, I'm just doing something that I enjoy doing and I, I just, it just felt like the right thing to try. And I'm 54 years old. I'm not old. I'm not young, but I wouldn't even call it midlife crisis. It just kind of seemed like some kind of crap or get off the pot for once and just give something a try. You yeah. Know? Yeah. No, <laughs> honestly, that's kind of the same thing with us. I mean, we didn't really have anything to lose. We just like talking about hunting and we wanted to meet some more people who really enjoyed hunting as well. And, you know, we didn't know what we were doing. We just went out and bought a bunch of equipment and just kind of long it for the sure. first couple of episodes and seemed like it was working and we're just kind of honing our skills as we go like you are and like you said but sure. i mean it's just it's been a crazy ride so far and i hope we keep it going but based off of that what are kind of like your goals with first light hunting journal you, i mean do you hope to monetize it do you hope to make that maybe a little bit of steady income for you or are you just kind of doing it for fun I would like, I would like, you know, of course, at a minimum, do it for fun. But I would like to monetize it. And when I say that, I don't, I don't really, I'm not interested in getting rich off of it or or anything too particularly lucrative. But you know, since I do enjoy it and I don't mind spending a lot of time at it, I, you know, I very much would like to monetize it or grow it in a positive way that can, you know, at least cover expenses and 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 keep doing it. Again, these these are areas that are new to me. And I, w- I would imagine that podcasting would be similar. You know, I've I, I've just kind of had to dive into it and learn from some friends, learn from things that I like out there. I've been real blessed. I've gotten some some pretty good partners over the last year, some sponsors that, that have really helped. We've got a pretty strong partnership with PhoneScope. I don't know if you guys are familiar with, with them. They, if you're not, you really need to look into it. You guys would enjoy it. Oh, yeah, I know exactly um, what PhoneScope is. It's really neat. Yeah, and we've got, you know, some, some small partnerships with some hunting scent type companies and Rack Brack, which is kind of like Skull Hooker. Uh, it's one of our, one of our partners. And I don't know. It's just, it's a very gratifying. It, it's, it's also just yet another means to meet some other people in the industry. And you quickly notice we all have that one thing in common that we keep talking about. So, yeah. what is that? Um, <laughs> yeah. I think you you understand. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think you can be honest with anybody, with everybody and just tell them you want to make enough money to pay for your one-week bow hunting trip to Pennsylvania every every year, and that's it. That's right. I might (laughs) even, if I could make enough money to pay you guys a flight, y'all can come down here. 
Oh man, I just, it's 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 more of a we 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 might need to do that sometime. We can come no, up with our own expenses on that end. Okay, don't you threaten us with a good time. <laughs> well, I, I I'll, I'll not only threaten you with it, we'll have to do that sometime. Absolutely, oh, dude, that would be an absolute blast. I I I agree one hundred percent. I think we can go both ways with that one. That yeah, would be we'd so extend much the fun. offer the other way as well. You want to come up and see what hunting Pennsylvania is all about? By all means, man. The big woods. We'll introduce you to the big woods. Ways, oh, absolutely! I, I, again, I, that's something that I've, I've kind of dream about. My wife and I go on vacations in different parts of the country, in, including you know you guys' neck of the woods. And mm-hmm. the whole time on my vacation, I'm just kind of romanticizing over hunting in it, not sightseeing in it. It's just it's just a whole other field in Texas, and I just I, I think it would be really, really, really cool to to get to do that someday. Oh yeah, absolutely! And you know, I'm I'm sure we would have a blast at. Hunting camp, man. And unbelievable. Unbelievable time. Not a doubt in my mind. Not a doubt in my mind either, man. Now, let's kind of take it a little bit in a different direction here now. You mentioned a few okay. times that you run a nonprofit, and that nonprofit is called Empowerment Outfitter Network, EON. What's that all about? Correct. So, um, EON started that back around 2005, and, and honestly, um, when I started that, I kind of did that by the seat of my pants. Um, um, I had done a bunch of reading, and and I think some of it was happenstance, but I had done a bunch of reading on wish-granting organizations and that kind of thing. And at the time, I was kind of running a small um, hunting business, and, you know, I got all kinds of side ideas. I don't know if you guys are like me, but I'm always thinking of hunting inventions, and I'm always, you know, I don't do anything about any of them, but I just think about yeah. them. <laughs> Dude, I'm um, right there with you. I've had so many million-dollar ideas in my mind, and it turns out it's like, yeah. Eh. Yeah, we just throw them out on the podcast and hope someone else comes up with them so we don't have to do all the work well, and we still hey, benefit. Well, you at least you're doing that. I've got a thought bubble that's very crowded, but <laughs> but I um, I tell you, I, you know, sat down one time, I was even talking to my wife about it, and the more I read about what few of those kind of organizations existed, I, I quickly found that there just were not a whole lot of wish-granting organizations, opportunities for hunting. And it had something to do with the anti-hunting sentiment. It had something mm-hmm. to do with, you know, the liability, all that all that stuff. And not here to badmouth the people that, that wouldn't allow that. Those companies do outstanding things. But yeah. it just got me to, just got me to thinking and... To be honest with you, I called David Sullivan at Buckmasters one day. I got his number. He, he runs their their sister company, the Buckmasters uh, American Deer Foundation, and got to talking to him. And being the size that they are, they take a lot of applications. And before I knew it, we were helping to fill some of their applications. And in fact, there was a period of time before we became an official nonprofit where we would raise money and just give give them the money to park it for us and give it back to us as we needed it. But eventually, we um, you know, we formed a 501c3 and became a nonprofit, and nice. You've been doing it ever since. That's awesome, man! It's incredible. That that really is an incredible cause, and you know, I really like that. And I won't badmouth any organizations that grant wishes and things to terminally ill kids. And but you know, what if you have a kid that they want to go on a hunt? They don't want to go to right. Disneyland, you know. And there, like you said, there weren't many out there that actually do that, and they'll turn kids yeah. down because they can't do that. You know, right. th- there was you, a void, you took, and you're filling it. Well, and that's the way it worked out. And, and luckily, yeah. there's there's been a lot more of that, as you guys probably know. There's there's a lot more mm-hmm. organizations that have jumped out there, you know, in the last 10, 15 years. But, I mean, you took the words right out of my mouth. I mean, and that was the initial thought. You know, believe it or not, not every kid wants to go to Disneyland. Yeah, there right. are, there's, 
and I had no idea, but there's a large demographic of, of disabled and terminally ill hunters that want to go hunting. Oh, yeah. And, you know, you see it both ways. Well, the beautiful thing is you see it both ways. You see kids that either have hunted a little bit and are kind of interested. You see the ones that have never hunted but want to try it. And then you see, you know, maybe disabled or terminally ill kids that have been doing it um, and are already just, you know, eaten up with it. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, you know, the benefit is, you know, you get to help those kids form an identity for themselves. There's a lot of things they cannot do. They just can't. And when it takes and they're able to take up hunting and they and they decide that they like it, that gives them an identity. They can identify as a hunter. And with the technology we have these days, we have some pretty remarkable equipment we're able to use on these hunts when we need it. I don't know if you guys are, you probably are, you could be familiar with some of the things that are out there now, but there's, we've got shooting apparatus where you can pull the trigger by sucking on a straw. Just all this really cool yeah, stuff. Yeah. I don't know, it's just a real blessing for a lot of people, and for that matter, you know, us for when we do it, it's just, it's just outstanding. Yeah, no, absolutely. Now, how can people find out more about EON and what kind of opportunities do you guys offer to uh, allow people to donate or volunteer or anything like that? Well, with EON, what we do, of course, of course, we've got a, a small board of directors. We're, we're, we're not super duper formal, but we've got a small board of directors. We, you know, you can go to the EON website and fill out an application. Like, again, we still, to this day, get a lot of our applications from Buckmasters simply because they take a lot of applications and they need help. Those are those are good ways to access us. You know, it's the kind of thing where, you know, you've got a friend or a family member, you know, look into it for them. I mean, we get a lot of applications from folks that aren't the family themselves. They might be an uncle or a friend of the family that comes across it and said, hey, this might be good for so-and-so, and and they're the ones that turn in the application. So, yeah. you know, I, I would recommend the EON website. The the Buckmasters website has, has a good resource as well. In terms, in terms of... Um, service opportunities. I mean, we're always like any other nonprofit. We need funding. So Mm -hmm. there's, there are ways to donate, but there's also ways to donate your time. We're very lax about pulling anybody in that wants to help out in any way. That could be, you know, anything from just going on the hunt and and, um, helping out however they can on the fly to doing guide work, you know, and I would probably say we might be a little unique in that you know, as, as important as funding is, the lifeblood of our organization are host ranches. That's what makes us tick. And if you look at a lot of our literature, you, you know, you'll see it says that we maintain and grow a list of host ranches, a network, hence the name. And we couldn't do this without properties that, that are willing to host a, a kid for two and a half, three days on a hunt, put them on an animal. And so those are a few ways that, that anyone can help through donations, through our website, leads on properties. Right now, most of our properties are in Texas, but on the other hand, we serve kids from all over the country. I mean, we've had them from virtually every state. So, you know, it's I kind of find that to be kind of cool, too. Yeah, no, I find that to be really interesting, and I really think it's a great cause. Think about it. I mean, these kids are no different than us. They really aren't. They all want to go hunting. They have the same passions we do, you know, and it gives me a deeper appreciation for hunting because I'm able to do it. And to help someone else be able to do what I, what I can do freely, I know that passion. You know, we've all felt right. that passion and that, that deep drive. And it's in these kids, you know, and that's why Austin and I, last year we went on the shoot with Camo Cares. That's a local, 
organization around here, nonprofit that does the same things as you do. You know, they're right. they're like a like you said, a wish granting organization for kids that are terminally ill, disabled, uh, wounded veterans, and it's a great organization to stand behind. Uh, just right. like EON is, you know, you guys are all doing something that is above and beyond what I even knew existed two or three years ago. You know, I just happened to get involved with a position of work in which my manager was one of the people that run Camo Cares, and she's very involved in Camo Cares. So bringing that to light and then seeing that now, not only this, now I know that there's more organizations out there like that. It's unbelievable. Sure, sure. And, and you know, I think from a practical standpoint, you know, the way we're wired as humans, it's really a good thing for everybody involved. I mean, for one, and it sounds like you guys are participated in this kind of thing. And the, one of the first things you notice is if not for a couple of days or a day, it kind of gets you out of yourself a little bit, right? Yeah. Because we all got it. We all have it pretty well. Oh, yeah. Um, in some shape or form. And I would say, I guess another thing in our experience from these hunts and would be the opportunities it provides for their parents because by and large these are folks that you know they have a lot of issues to deal with both financial and you know dealing with treatments whatever the case may be and you know a lot of times we find that the the two or three day respite for the for the parents and the family whoever does come along with with the, the child or the youth is really kind of priceless for them it kind of stops the clock a little bit and mm-hmm. they get this you know, we, we all like to go somewhere else. It's different. A change of venue is good for you. So, it, you know, anyway, the formula seems to work, and we really, really enjoy it. We always say we enjoy it so much we feel guilty. But, you know. Yeah. I think you said it best, man. For two or three days, they can go off, and they can forget about their illness. They can forget about their disability, and, and all they're worried about is how are we going to get on this white tail or how are we going to get on this elk. And, you know, it's probably – even more gratifying for the parents that get to see their kids enjoying something that they can enjoy, you know, and I think that's, that's, exactly that's amazing. Right. That's, yeah, you nailed it. And while, while, while I'm thinking about it, one of the, one of the bigger, I don't know why I always forget this, but one of the bigger benefits for the hunter is they've got, you know, weeks, months of anticipation leading up to it. And, mm-hmm. you know, we found that takes their mind off of what's going on for them a little bit. They got, you know, we all like looking forward to something. I mean, we could, Use the deer hunting example. We know we've got a big hunt coming up in two weeks. I mean, it, it, that anticipation is a big part of that equation as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. And that kind of goes into the fact of, like, the hunting camp theme. You know, everybody yep. loves hunting sure. camp. And, you know, everybody always says that laughter is the best medicine. You know, you get into hunting camp with a great group of guys and just kind of take your mind off of the world and just enjoy yourself. It's really a great thing, and everybody enjoys that. It's the distraction, yeah. man. That's yeah. that's what we're all about. It's that distraction, you know. It's in our name for a exactly reason. Exactly right. You know, it takes your mind you know, off things. To each his own, right? But I tell you, I still to this day think the people that don't that don't do it are missing out. <laughs> it's, <laughs> yeah. it's something else. I, mean, I couldn't imagine life without it. Yeah, me neither. It's me crazy. Either. I'm right there with you. Now, that kind of rolls into a little bit of what I want to get into next, but I don't know if you want to share a story maybe from one of the hunts from EON or not, but I kind of wanted to hear maybe your favorite hunting story. Maybe it'd be your first deer, your biggest deer, your most memorable, or even if you want to do a hunt like one of both, one of your favorite hunts from EON and maybe your first deer story or something like that. Yeah, your own personal hunting story. Sure. i tell you what I'll do. You know, some of the, the bigger deer that I've shot were fantastic stories, but 
you know, a lot of times for some odd reason, they're not my favorite stories. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I can be kind of, um, simplistic like a lot of people do and, 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 and talk a little bit about my first deer. And <laughs> the reason I like talking about my first deer is because it was just, I don't know, the, the nostalgia leading up to it, even at that young age was, was really palpable. I mean, it was just, you know, again, I, I can't think I told you guys how I grew up doing it a lot and I got exposed to it a lot, but that, that typically meant going out a lot with my dad and, you know, being around the guys in the camp or, or back at the farm or whatever. But, you know, the first deer I ever shot, um, I believe I was, I was 10. I think also was the very first time that my dad literally, um, dropped me off to hunt. You know, and I guess maybe these days that sounds maybe bizarre to some people to leave a kid with a gun, you know, <laughs> somewhere. Maybe not. I don't know. Well, but, our rules uh, prohibit it, not to interrupt, but we're not allowed to hunt without an adult until we're 16 years old, Pennsylvania. Yeah, I, I think I think I may have heard one of you guys bring that up on one of your episodes, maybe. Yeah. And, you know, again, I'm not here to say that's good or bad, but I grew up during an era... And, and I'm not sure where that law lies yeah, right now. But, totally different. Totally different world. But but when I got comfortable enough with the gun, I mean, my dad left me in a little makeshift ground line. It was pretty much just a bunch of branches. I mean, that's a great story for me just because, you know, you know, I felt 10 foot tall sitting mm-hmm. there. Oh, absolutely. And, and we did, we and we didn't see that many deer. Like I said, we just did not see that many deer. And and that one day, which I think was probably the first time that he let me hunt by myself, if not the second, I unexpectedly had a, a, a three point buck come out in front of me, probably probably forty yards or less. I did what you don't do back then. I shot him while he was moving, but he was so close. And the old family thirty thirty with the side scope dropped him, and that deer was in my mind just. A freaking monster, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and that memory of that deer, details about that hunt, um, stick with me more than, you know, some of my adult hunts. I mean, it just, you know, it could be that as a young child, I, you know, I, I, maybe I couldn't picture myself shooting one yet. Um, it's a combination of that and seeing, you know, antlers at all. It was just a really special thing for me. And again, shooting him in the blind by myself, truth mm-hmm. be told, my dad was probably 300 yards away. I don't know. But that one's always going to stick in my mind because I, I think along with the type of hunting that I grew up with out there and having the appreciation of seeing deer, you know, that mentality, I think because of those experiences, that mentality never really stopped. I mean, I, I, I just don't take for granted seeing deer. And going to the family farm to hunt, it's my it's my happy place. It's where I'd prefer to hunt. I've got I've got friends with South Texas property that now invite me to hunt. I'll be like, I appreciate it. I think I'm going to go out to the farm. They think I'm absolutely a buffoon. They you know? <laughs> just don't get it. But it's a little you know, it's a little one part sentimental. I don't know. It, it's just strange. No. But but that that hunt. Not that I provided you with a lot of detail. That's okay. That that, that hunt that hunt always way up there. I think. For a variety of reasons, one being the surprise that I even saw a racked buck of any kind, and feeling like pretty big stuff hunting by myself. I don't know. It just kind of it kind of set me on my way. I kind of liken it to the first time that we bow hunt and, and and have success. There's really, you guys would probably agree, there's really nothing like that. I mean, mm-hmm. it's that moment on you you identify yourself as a bow hunter. You oh, feel yeah. justified. You feel I'm qualified to do this. I actually shot one same concept in my mind so that was that was just really a beautiful thing for me 
Oh man, I couldn't um, agree more. That that and you didn't go into detail, and you know I really don't mind because that honestly kind of reminds me of my first year. Honestly, I mean I was in a blind ground blind that was yeah. made out of sticks, and you know I shot a little forkhorn with my grandpa's forty four mag, a little lever action, a little scope on it. Uh, and it was just, I mean, you said you can remember the details in your mind like it was yesterday, and that I remember all the deer that I've shot, and I remember all the details, but that one hunt that first hunt that i shot a buck mm-hmm. that just blows my mind how vivid it is to me still yeah absolutely man i'm sitting here I'll, I'll tell you gerald i'm sitting here grinning ear to ear just teary-eyed thinking about my first buck because you you hit it man my first buck was like the, one of the first times i was hunting all my own my dad was with my younger brother you know maybe 200 yards away but i was on my own and you know, I shot that deer and just uh, explode with emotion. And then my first bow kill as well, uh, it was a property that I gained permission on and I scouted myself and I picked out the tree myself and I killed my first ever deer with a bow. And it's like, it's totally different. And that first just stands out. It's, it's unreal. It really you, is. You, it, you it said just... it, man, you, you, you painted a perfect picture of like your first and I'm, I'm sitting here right now and I can vision around me the woods, how they looked in the blind I'm sitting yeah. in. <laughs> it was exactly. crazy. You brought me right back to that spot, man. Can't you, wouldn't you agree that this, those experiences kind of plant you firmly into that you had to be there, you wouldn't understand kind of yeah. thing? Yeah. Um, I mean, it really does because, I mean, I still to this day don't, don't understand some people that don't get it. Although, I mean, I mean, I'm sympathetic to that, but I mean, it's just, I don't know, the whole thing's so palpable. It's the fact that I can remember something that long ago and almost kind of feel the emotions is, mm-hmm. is um, it's really mind blowing. And while we do what we do, I guess, I think we appreciate where we came from. And I think that that pays dividends down the road for sure. Absolutely. I mean, it's a healthy lifestyle and it just, I think it, this, is, this sounds kind of weird, but you know, I think really hunting from a young age, it really makes you a better person. Honestly, I mean, it gives you a different understanding of the world and how life ends and, and everything in that aspect of the yeah i mean some of the best people i know are hunters yeah absolutely right i don't think that's so a coincidence I, I don't think there's any accident of that yeah. i think that we all have had that experience and got to be something to it right yeah, absolutely absolutely i couldn't agree more yeah if you want to you know I, I think what i would probably do if you got a minute I'll, I'll give you a brief recount of a hunt that i had this year again it's maybe a little unorthodox because it was an epic fail but to this day, <laughs> I think this one's going to live with me forever. I don't know how much of an appreciation you guys have for bow hunting follies and, and things that go wrong. Absolutely. Um, That's happened to me a couple times this year, and it's happened to me in the past several times. And I'll tell you, you yeah. remember sometimes the, the mistakes more than the actual kills. It's, yeah. it's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> I, and, I, and I had one of those experiences. You know, I've, I've shot quite a few deer, and, you know, it, 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 it's... It's amazing to me how, as we say, if it was simple, it wouldn't be that much fun. Correct. You know, but it, but it's still astounding to me sometimes how I can revert back to a very basic mistake. And of course, it takes me a while, but I'm ultimately, you know, able to laugh about it. But I, I had a, I had a bow hunt early this season for a really good buck on our property. And I was having no luck with getting on him at all. Had him on multiple game cameras. I just, it was a cat and mouse game. It was like Keystone Cops, but. I kept at it, and I, I had a hunt right during the, really during the heat of the primary rut, and I was, I was sitting in a tripod stand that was, it sits on top 
of a, a, a terrace. This is a terrace that was that was built back, I believe, in the 40s, you know, to, to minimize runoff. Mm-hmm. So yep. it's about, you know, five feet off the ground probably. And within that, on top of that and within that, I was within some oaks. I've got a really pr- pretty sweet setup on, on that spot. Um, and the wind's usually right there. And I, and I really good, had really good, good conditions that morning. And I sat up there and I w- really wasn't seeing anything. And I, and, and I call this, you guys will probably understand this too. I, I call these made for TV hunts, you know, hmm. you, you, you can't hardly describe them to somebody without them just kind of getting glassy eyed and getting you a look like and, but, but the <laughs> yeah. deal, it, it was one of those deals where it was almost an out of body experience. I, I had a doe come in finally late morning and it was feeding out in front of me about 30 yards. You know how it is during the rut. I mean, your, your expectations are really high when you see a doe and, and, the whole thing happened so fast that doe beat it out in front of me, like I said, about 30 or 35 yards and not just a few seconds up the ravine that, that terrace I'm telling you about creates a ravine, a draw, a natural draw. Now it goes on for probably 500 yards and up that draw or down that draw coming towards me, I could hear a lot of grunting. We've all heard that, but th- th- this was just, I don't know. It was almost like something on the outdoor channel. It was just bizarre. And I, it's just one of those deer. One in one of those deals, rather, where I knew, obviously knew that a buck was coming, but I just mm-hmm. knew that it was a good buck, and and lo and behold, it was. It was a real, you know, puffed up, ears pinned back, nine point buck. It was one of the bucks that that I was hunting, and that thing came out right underneath me. I'm not as high up in the air as you guys perhaps are when you hunt, but when you factored in the terrace and in the tripod, I mean, I'm probably only about twelve or fifteen feet in the air. But that deer comes in down that little draw and camps right underneath me and uh, I don't know I went into goofball mode I could I, I couldn't believe it was parked right there it was it was really too close to shoot it wasn't quartered the right way and I waited for that deer to move for what seemed like an eternity I think it was probably 40 seconds you know how that is mm-hmm. oh yeah, oh, yeah. It feels like an eternity <laughs> next thing I know he, he moved out just a little bit but not much and he was quartering away from me and sometimes I think I'm a, a walking hunting blooper, but, but I drew on that buck. I thought everything was perfect. The wind was perfect. Um, he was courting away. He was, he was fixated on that doe. And not only did that deer look up, that deer just took off and ran. Um, oh, man. I never felt like such a buffoon. I mean, I sat there thinking for an hour after it happened, how did that happen? You know, yeah. playing it back over and over. Yeah. I can usually tell when my draw is quiet or not, and it was a quiet draw, um, minimized movement. I did something wrong, that's obvious, and that deer bolted. He came back in a couple times a few minutes later, but he never got in bow range, and he finally walked off, um, still puffed up and ears back, and you know how dramatic that looks when you're in a bow stand, especially when you've blown it. And I don't know, I that that hunt for me was was just an incredible hunt even though it was an epic fail <laughs> it was just one of those hunts that was like you see on tv you know yeah. it's a good thing i'm not filmed but <laughs> i'm right there <laughs> with you man good thing i'm not you filmed know, sometimes because it'd be it'd be a blooper yeah. reel like you said <laughs> you know i i, I you know again I've, i'm no expert but i've had my share of hunting success with a bow and um, I, I screwed that one up so bad, but but it, it's one of those things. I don't know if you guys ever watch hunting shows where you see a hunting scene where you're like you're questioning whether did it really fall into place just like that. Oh you know? yeah, yeah. 
And and I'm not saying it does or it doesn't, but this was one of those deals. I mean, it just all happened so fast, and and it just fell right into place. I mean, a dream situation couldn't be much better, really. And of course, it you know it went south on me. And, and the bottom line was, you know, it was really easy to tell what my mistake was, among others, which. All I really had to do was wait a little longer. That deer wasn't going anywhere. That doe was out there at, you know, at an acceptable shooting range. That's where he was going to end up. He wasn't going to stay underneath my tree. And that time that seemed like five or 10 minutes was probably 30 seconds. And I'm right there with you, man. But you know what? Those, those failures like that, it's just you use it as a learning experience. And you know, next time play the smackdown on him, man. Cause you know, you're, you're going to so. try and not make that mistake again. I mean. I think we've all been sitting there with a bow in one hand and the other hand either pounding it off the tree or off your palm, just like, how did they let that happen? (laughs) Absolutely, absolutely. And, and again, when I finally got out of that tree and got down and looked around, I I marked it off. That deer, even after he had moved a little bit, was at like 12 yards. I mean, it was just, I call it jackassery. I mean, it just (laughs) made no sense. I mean, you know, it just made no sense. A little patience would have gone a long way. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Again, I call it made for TV because it just, it looks like one of those shows where not only does the boat, the, does the buck come right in, but you know, he's got his, he's got his ears pinned back and he's all mm-hmm. puffed up and he's, you know, he means business and, and here he comes and, you know, this is going to be great and then it's going to be great till it's not. And anyway. I don't know if that's bizarre for you guys for a deer story because it doesn't end with the kill, but that one's going to be stuck in my mind for a while, and that was only past this past November. You know what, man? I just I really love deer stories, and that's one that's memorable to you. And you know, I don't typically tell all my all my stories on here, but you know, I told one of my it was almost a failure this year. The buck that I shot this year, we almost didn't find him, and you know, I was tore up about that yeah. that story on here because I think it's really a learning experience, and that one. Even though you didn't make the kill on that deer, I mean, I still, I could picture it in my mind when you were telling the story, and it sticks out to me. It's memorable. You learn from it, and you go on. Yeah, that's exactly right, and and, that, and that's the point. you got to learn from it, and I'd like to think I will. Now, Austin, you shot a pretty nice buck this year, correct? Um, I, He was pretty nice in my book. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he was a good one. Well, I don't recall, honestly, I don't recall if I saw a picture of it or not, but I thought I'd remember you mentioning it. Tell me about it, was it? It was, uh, he was... Pretty good eight point. He was really old deer, super mature. I mean, he was definitely regressing in the in the rack department. I mean, he wasn't he was an absolute giant, but a really 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 good buck for around here. I mean, just he he had the mass. He had the dark colored antlers that you just you typically don't get that real dark antler around here until they get some real age on them. Yeah. Um, Oh really? Yeah, and he had kind of the. The genetics in this area that we were hunting, he had that kind of the the antlers, the main beams will swing way out, like straight out, and then they'll they'll kind of swoop back in real tight. And you could tell he used to be real big and tight, and then as his age went on, he he kind of lost a little bit of length on the main beams, yep. but he was still had that same genetics, but real good G2s, a couple broken points, I mm-hmm. think. And, yeah, he uh, was definitely a fighter for sure. I mean, the deer had like two teeth left in its mouth. It was a real old buck for our area, just an old swamp deer that had made yeah. its made its days off of hiding in a real big swamp that we hunt off the edge of and uh, a great trophy deer for this area by no means. He's, he's underplanted a little bit. It was definitely a great buck. Yeah, it's yeah. all that stuff that makes a great story and a great memory. It's the, it's yeah. the broken up point. It's the deer you've never seen or seen very seldom. I mean, it's just 
all, all that stuff is so cool to me. Yeah, I mean, that deer was, it was one that we had never seen before, and, you know, I was actually getting ready to get out of the stand, and Charles actually told me to stay in the stand, because I was actually going to go help him with a doe that he shot, and, you yeah. know, I literally got off the phone with him, and I threw out a couple of blind grunts, because we were just getting into that pre-rut stage, and I sat mm-hmm. down, and I don't even know what it was, made me look over my shoulder, and he was coming out of that bottom and I was like, Oh boy, here we go. <laughs> you know, it was wow. Yeah, it was wild. Especially with that frame coming at you and you see that that straight on with his his big wide frame. Uh you know, I I can only imagine. But I, I kinda liked your story because it was a lot like my my buck story this year also was one of out of a TV show. I've never experienced where I've had so many deer chasing does back and forth and and there was i think three or four bucks chasing three or four different doe and i mean i was completely surrounded by deer deer back and forth through this high standing water and they were just splashing and making tons of noise back and forth and you know it went from one point of me looking across the open area in the swamp to where i'm gonna hunt the next day to 10 minutes later they're they're crashing chasing right past me and you know, the, the bigger of the bucks in the back, just that demeanor on them. Like you said, ears pinned, puffed up, just chasing all the other small bucks off this doe. And he, he's just taking his time. He knows he's the king of the litter and he's, he was coming in like a bad, you know, a badass. And, and he was going to yeah. basically roll that whole bottom. And then he met my Spitfire. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, uh, that, that's, um, you know, that's another thing, Charles, <laughs> both of you guys. You know, w- one thing that I think is really cool. It, it, I wish you, I wish you could, you know, I wish you could do something about it, but you know, a lot of folks have no idea what those deer look like in those moments on the hook. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's just, I mean, it's like night and day. And it sounds like you, both of you guys enjoy the, you know, witnessing the deer behavior and everything as, as well. I don't know. Those are just priceless. I'm, I'm glad, Charles. I'm glad you. I'm glad you stuck him. Yeah, yeah. He gave me about an eight yard shot. <laughs> well, but they had are, they had no clue, up. man. They had no clue I was there. There was like ten, twelve deer, and they they literally one after another just trotted right past me. Gave me all the time in the world to prepare. Uh, I almost made a a bit of a flu fight when I drew back. I, my arrows hit off my my seat because I keep my quiver on my, my bow and it made a little bit of a noise. And I think a smaller six point was, was in the area and he heard me, but the, the bigger buck was too focused on the doe. He just kept walking. I mean, literally right underneath me, I put a perfect heart shot on him. He ran in a half circle around me about total of 30 yards and died right in front of me. And uh, it was just, I mean, I blew up with emotion. It was, it was phenomenal. (laughs) Yeah. It's incredible. you know that that's it. I mean, as much as the um, the blunders are frustrating, it 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 all quickly becomes so worth it when when it comes together like that. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just it's really hard to describe. So yeah. sounds like both of you guys have had a really cool season. Oh man, I had a great season, honestly. And you know, my buck couldn't have came at a better time. I was switching jobs, and the very next week I had to start training, so I wasn't going to have a whole lot of time to hunt. And it it just it couldn't have came at a better time. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, this season was one of uh, one for the books for the two of us. You know, our first real season hunting together and and really going out there and, and hanging same properties. Uh, it was really really cool to get it done. Yeah, absolutely. really. Cool. You guys, you guys hunt together quite a bit, correct? We do now. Before uh, we were friends before, but now I mean, 
within the last couple of years, we really started hunting together and putting our minds together. And, you know, we do a lot of our scouting together and shed hunting. And, you know, we, we, it, it's a teamwork sort of thing. I mean, we're both excited yeah. for each other when we shoot deer and we're the first people to run out there when someone mm-hmm. else needs help dragging a deer out and all that stuff. Absolutely. But, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, it's all good stuff. I, uh, I love hearing deer stories as well. And as you can tell, I could talk about them all night, but oh, yeah. I, I really, um, serious maybe we can get you guys down to texas one of these days and i got it written right here on my paper man hunt hunt in texas i i never even thought about it before but you got me really excited about it (laughs) like i got butterflies over here thinking about hunting all over again because our you know our season's over and i the only thing to look forward to is the next season but i think we can make something work i i honestly think that would be amazing I, I would love that. I, I, you know, in Texas is, I, you know, I can't speak for how it's viewed around the country, but it, it is a little different. Um, mm-hmm. you know, that's one thing I've found in, in the podcast world in particular is you don't hear, there, there are Texas based hunting podcasts for sure, but. Oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah. I listen to a couple of them. But there, but there's a lot more, as you guys know, focused around, um, where you guys are from and in the Midwest. And, and again, that's that's what I listen to most most of the time because that's that's what most of them are and and again with that comes you know my interest in what things are like in different places yeah um, I just think it's so cool absolutely absolutely I think it's a really cool cool thing too and I I really enjoy listening to different regions stuff too I mean yeah. the Midwest is kind of like the mecca of whitetail hunting I mean Iowa and Illinois I mean that's how do you get uh, any better than that I mean <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah they got it yeah no they got it okay but yeah we have our <laughs> yeah. we have our own benefits where we're at too but uh yeah you know what it, it's funny because I've been I've had this written down here coming from Texas being totally opposite of where PA is I wanted to hear what your favorite hunting tradition was because here we're deep rooted in that that like first day of rifle season kind of tradition where schools are closed, a lot of people are off work, that kind of thing. But I want to know what it's like in Texas. What What are you guys doing for your favorite hunting tradition? You know, I think probably easily my favorite tradition, and and, and this has, you know, been this way forever here, and I'm sure there as well, but I, I, I still love the whole deer camp thing, and especially yeah. on opening weekend. I, I, I like on that weekend leaving town and just seeing the litany of vehicles leaving town and knowing where they're going. Yep. You know, I, I read a lot about y'all's part of the country with the buck poles and all that kind of good yeah. stuff. Yeah. Yep. And, and, and I think that is so cool. There, there was, you know, over the years there's been some of that in Texas, probably not as much, but you know, it, it's more the campfires and the, and the, um, the camaraderie. You know, it's funny, especially in the parts of Texas that are, that are just ex- scream just teeming with with tons of hunters i mean it literally an opening morning um in those type of areas it's like an anthill i mean it's just unbelievable that's why like we talked about earlier that's frustrating as well you know the hunting pressure can be pretty bad here too but i don't know you know as corny as it sounds it's that whole rite of passage deal it's just so much fun it's just such a tradition i i I even like the Texas hunting traditions that I don't hear much anymore about. But I, I know that my grandfather, he had a lease in the hill country. I, like I explained to you guys, our family farm area, we didn't have a lot of deer back then. And, and literally a lot of people would, would get, in this part of the country, we call them deer leases. I don't know what you guys call them. I know in the south they're deer clubs, hunting clubs. We have but leases we have, around here, but I mean, 
there's there's quite a bit of public. So, I mean, a lot of people don't right. necessarily do leases a lot, but leases are big in states like Ohio that's right next to us. I mean, if you get your hands on a deer lease for a decent price, a lot of people will do that. Yeah. Right, right. Well, back back then, I mean, that's that's a big that's a big thing in Texas is, is deer leases, and and it has been for for decades and decades. But my granddad, he would go to a hunting lease in Fredericksburg, Texas, which is in the heart of the hill country, and just like I said, there weren't just a whole lot of deer where we were, and just that the whole fanfare around that deal was incredible. I mean, these are a bunch of old country Germans, you know. Oh yeah, and. They had, they had their, their formula for how they did things. You know, they would get there on Friday of opening weekend. First thing they would do is shoot a doe to eat because they could eat on it the whole weekend. Never mind that the season hadn't started yet. Oh man. <laughs> um, you know, it, you know, for some reason that just is okay with me, but not now, but, but, yeah. um, everywhere's different, they, man. But, it was done differently back then. We understand it. We've heard the stories. You know, we've sat yeah, behind the, yeah. the campfire around the campfire with, our parents and grandparents and, you know, really soaked in those stories that, that hit home. Right, right, right. And, you know, that, and then back in the old days, they had, in the country, they had, like, for lack of a better term, deer hunters balls and stuff where people, you know, the small towns would have a big dance and, you know, beer and barbecue, whatever. But, but it was, it's really a celebrated thing. And from where things sit today, I just really like, we're talking about EON. I really like the anticipation of it. I think that that's always going to be a big thing. Mm-hmm. But I like the camaraderie around the campfires. I like the deer camp. I like the stories. I like, you know, giving each other crap. Just the whole deal. Oh, and yeah. It's just, <laughs> it will never cease being fun for me. And I don't know. I, one of those strange ones, I don't even mind hanging around the tech, the taxidermist or the meat processor sometimes just to see what deer come in. I wear them out, I think, but. That's what our buck pull is all about, man. Seeing what deer come in and seeing who got what and just hearing the stories and laughing and, you know, yeah, that's what it's yeah. about. Well, you know, we never, I don't, to my knowledge, the buck pull was never super popular, not like it is where you guys are from, mm-hmm. but the buck pole is a very known thing and it just, I've always thought that's so cool. I love those old pictures and it's just greatness. And I assume it's still fairly prevalent today. Is that correct? Absolutely. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's, that's just, that's just great. But I I don't know if I answered your question, but I, you know, the hunting for sure, it almost sounds like a dove hunt in the morning sometimes (laughs) Um, on opening weekend. But, but, um, that's the way it is around here, man. Yeah, I it, get it, that. It sounds like an army, and it it sounds like there's a war going on. Yeah, it sounds like duck yeah. hunting. <laughs> yeah. Despite that pressure, it's all good, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Well, Joe, we're getting we're getting close here on time. Um, why don't you tell people where they can find First Light Hunting Journal and EON? Sure. For First Light, you can go to firstlighthuntingjournal.com. On social media platforms, you can go to at, you know, at First Light Hunting Journal. We post content as often as we as we can but um recommend uh, you know suggest get out there as often as you can see if you like it uh, as far as eon goes i created what's perhaps i really outdid myself but perhaps the longest web address in the planet is empowermentoutfitternetwork.org that's makes me tired just saying it but <laughs> yeah. you can go check that out and you know explains what a lot of what our goals and mission and values and all that kind of thing are and it, you know, of course, it's got a it's got a means for for donations. But what I really recommend is, if anybody's got any questions on First Light or EON, get get out there on those websites, use the contact information, and you know, love me a text, love me an email, give me a call. Love to talk about it, and we're always looking for people to help. That's awesome, man. Well, everybody, get out there, 
support the organizations, go on, read some of the articles on First Light Hunting Journal. I'm sure you guys will enjoy them as much as we do. Yeah, it's a phenomenal time, and uh, I really appreciate the journals. I appreciate all you do with EON, uh, with First Light Hunting Journal, bringing stories to people that of different backgrounds and of different experiences and bringing everybody together for one common cause. So uh, we really appreciate you coming on, Gerald, and, and thank you for your time. I've had a blast talking with you and just, you know, BSing. Absolutely. Me too, man. I really appreciate you coming on and talking to us and letting us know about it everything you're involved with and telling good stories sure, and sure. it's been a blast well, austin and austin and charles I, I likewise enjoyed it we'll do it another time if y'all like to absolutely you're welcome back anytime you want man hey maybe next time we'll do a live podcast around a fire maybe even a texas fire oh man well what an episode that was gerald cop thank you so much for coming on the podcast and talking to us what a great conversation man i really appreciate it yeah the back and forth in this one was just unbelievable I had a great time. I, I am truly, I was sitting here with my phone looking up prices to go down to Texas and hunt, and I, I think I can afford it. So. <laughs> I hope I can afford it. <laughs> uh, I, I think we can make it work. Okay? I think so, too. It's, it's Texas. And, uh, you know, as much as he mentioned about how he appreciates what we do over here, I think the same we could say for us is how much we appreciate what's going on over in Texas and the Absolutely. opportunity. It's a game-rich environment, man. Yeah. You know, there's so many diverse habitat features and everything the whole way across the state, realistically. And, you know, he's involved with a great organization. I, oh I think that's gosh. a wonderful cause. And, you know, everybody go over to the websites and check them out. Think about donating or volunteering your time. I know that's a lot to ask, but, you know, go over, read some of his articles, look at some of the pictures, see what he's doing, and I really think you guys will appreciate it. Yeah, that's money well spent right there. Absolutely, absolutely. Definitely. Um, other than that... Well, people, as you all know, we have a giveaway going on, and I have had my first email come through. Uh-oh. Rut-row. Rut row Who was it? It was MJ. MJ. MJ, you the man, buddy. Well, not the first. Not the first, but the first email since I've been asking for a while. You people are letting me down. Yeah, it's okay. I know you guys are listening because I see the downloads. But Maybe our email address is too long. It might be, but you know what? That's maybe they're misspelling. Maybe they're misspelling. They're sending <laughs> me emails. They're sending emails to some random person. So yeah. You know. The Whitetail Distraction yeah. podcast Who knows? with an M. That yeah. could happen. It could happen. It could happen. But anyway, we have this wonderful Alan Bosling, you know, Sitting get right on it, people. Us. If you guys want a bowstring, here's your opportunity to get one for free. A bowstring or a bowstring? Bowstring. Oh, yeah. Did I say string? I think you did. I don't know. Either it's way. okay. It's okay. It doesn't matter. It's a bowstring. It's really cool. It's real tree pattern, which means the world to us. But it's going to help you carrying in. When you're going in and you're you're hunting, you got to stand on your back. You know, you're going in and you're trying to, for the first time, or maybe you're just an all-time mobile hunter. You're going to want to have this bow sling. Hands-free, using oh, your Onyx while you're walking in. I have never... Not a sponsor. Yeah, not a sponsor. <laughs> but I have never felt so amazing than when I had my bow sling rocking. I had my stand on my back, the pack. I had hands-free. I got my bow in one hand. I got Onyx on the other hand. And I could just walk freely and scout while I'm hunting. It was amazing. Yeah, you know, I couldn't agree well, more, man. I, I'm sorry. I, I misspoke. I said bow in one hand. The bow's not in your hand the anymore. The bow is not in your it's, hand. It's on your side. You got hands free, both hands. One hand's got Onyx. The other one's scanning through Onyx. You're zooming in. You're zooming out. You know, whatever you want to do. Absolutely. What, you see a deer, and you quick attach. You just take off. It's a quick little pull of both sides around the cams. 
it's off, your bow's ready to shoot. Absolutely. So Now, we have a huge favor to ask all of you. If you could do us a ginormous favor and head over to iTunes and give us a five-star review, we would be much appreciated. Now, I'm going to change the rules a little bit for this giveaway. We keep telling you we're doing this giveaway, but you guys aren't getting as many entries as I was hoping. So, if you go over and give us a five-star review on iTunes, take a screenshot of it, send it to us on social media, Facebook or Instagram, we will give you an additional entry to the contest. Yeah, so the five-star rating that you give us, we don't see who does that. That's why you have to take the screenshot. But if you do leave a review of any kind, just saying, I love the podcast, or, hey, a review coming from Illinois or Texas, uh, you know, we can see that, and we'll enter you in to win this bow sling, and the first 25 people that, that enter... Let, let next that 25. What do you think? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. So by the next podcast, then, give it a, another week? By the next week. podcast, we're going to give it one more week, and if you guys keep giving us entries, we're going to keep throwing them in there. We're going to throw them all into a hat. We're going to draw people. It's going to be perfectly fair. It's going to be good to go. I just want a lot of people involved. I want people involved. I want people to be out there spreading what we're doing, but also gaining a chance to win a free bow sling who doesn't want to win a free bow sling <laughs> <laughs> you'll get it eventually i'll get it eventually anyway but you guys can find us on facebook instagram youtube and you can send us an email at the whitetail distraction podcast at gmail.com our tags for the facebook and instagram and youtube are at the whitetail distraction podcast you can also send us an email to uh let us know it doesn't even have to be an email send it to us on instagram or facebook let us know if you guys want to hear from somebody in particular, you guys have a topic you want us to talk mm-hmm. about. You know, even if you just want to say, hey, like, hey, we really enjoy the podcast. We will yep. welcome everybody's yep. opinion. Maybe you have a great deer story from this year. You want to share that with us. You want you want your own chance to come on the podcast. We're open. Absolutely. Okay? We're not going to turn people away. That's what we're here for. We just want to talk hunting. Absolutely. So we appreciate it, guys. Thanks for listening. Thanks for keeping up with us. You know, if you haven't heard any of our previous episodes, please go back and listen to them. But uh, just enjoy the ride. I'm enjoying it with you guys. So thank you for everything. Thanks for everything, guys. We'll catch you next week. The distraction's real. The distraction's real.